Hello, feeble-minded humans, and welcome to Set Podcast to Stun, the podcast where we explore, explain, and enjoy the Star Trek franchise. I'm Clint the Q, joined by Captain Corey and Chancellor Emily Gowran. How's it going, guys? Ah, I have feasted mightily on blood wine today. It is a good day to die. Oh, oh, good. Well, <laughs> that that's Emily's typical... Uh, attitude towards podcasting Corey. wait wait Corey, wait i wait, have good wait kapla kapla i have uh, i have good news for you you have a joke for me no i have good news for you oh my god oh oh okay let me sit down okay okay so yeah we finally got your your confirmation of your admiral status oh i'm so glad to hear that that is great news yeah so now, um, before we can call you an admiral on the air, we just have to send them confirmation that we received their communique. And then once I get com- confirmation of my confirmation, we'll be able to do that. So just another like six to eight weeks. Oh, this, okay. Uh, I mean, that's fair. I, I My concern is it's going to turn into like the, the two generals problem and that it's just going to keep getting kicked down the road. And like mathematically, it's just never going to happen. But I don't think you would do that to me. This is the future no, that liberals not. want. Yeah. Just, you know, it's a little bureaucracy. You know Starfleet. Just got to confirm your confirmation. And, you know, after that's confirmed, then we're good to go. So, hey, congrats, Corey. I'm so excited to exercise my new powers. I, we're all we're all happy for you. We, you deserve it. Your, I, your legacy will be mighty in the hollowed halls of the afterlife. Which I have forgotten the name of. Stovacor. Stovacor. I'm an ab- I'm an agnostic Klingon. I must be cruel only to be kind. Thus bad begins and worse remains behind. I wrote that. Uh. What'd you call me? <laughs> I wrote that. That's from me. No, that's from uh, Bill Shakespeare. Billy boy. It's a good way to transition into today's episode. Yeah. The, the the quote I said promised that something bad just happened and then something a little worse is going, or a little not as bad is go- about to happen, which is going to be our review of this episode. <laughs> yeah, something bad and then something worse. That's a good, that's a good description of how this podcast operates. So this, that, that's from Hamlet. And uh, this episode is very, very much influenced by Hamlet and has Hamlet in it. And as we will see towards the end, it is very heavily ham-fisted with its Hamlet. <laughs> and I, oh, I just like I to say, like... I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it so much. All right. Well, before we start talking about the episode, let's uh, introduce it. So the episode we're reviewing today is The Conscious of the King. In this episode... Kirk suspects a Shakespearean actor is actually a mass murderer thought to be dead, named Kodos the Executioner. Can Kirk get to the truth by flirting with Kodos's 19-year-old daughter, or will he live out his own version of Macbeth among the stars? I hope that was a dramatic enough introduction to the, the episode. Well, we'll find out tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. The first question we need to ask is, how old is William Shatner slash Kirk at the filming of this episode? And I know the answer to that question. It's 35 years old now. Oh, really? I was going to guess like 38. Yeah, I was thinking late 30s as well. 
And you might be wondering, why is this an important number to know? Well, the entire episode <laughs> is predicated on that Kirk has a, a white whale to hunt and that he has some trauma to resolve over an incident that happened when he was uh, 20 years ago, which we'll get into. But by my calculations, let me get my little clickety-clack out. Looks like he would have been 15 years old at the time, and he was supposed to be like a junior officer. Maybe he was like a Wesley Crusher, just like flying a ship, you know? But If Shatner is 35, what's his butt? Oh my gosh, why am I forgetting his name? Kirk, good lord. <laughs> Please feel free to cut that out. Been, you've been dipping into that that bloodline a little too much. Maybe too much Tranya. Tranya. <laughs> no one knows if Tranya is alcoholic or not. Uh, just that a little a little boy like I, uh, I decided to try it out tonight by just pounding a, a whole gallon and we're going to find out. Uh, so if Shatner is 35, I mean, we could say that Kirk could be a little older, like the character of Kirk. I was thinking it would be reasonable if Kirk was like 38 or 39 and then he was like 18 or 19, which would be about the age when you would enter the military or Starfleet or something. Well, they do have 17 year olds who are serving as junior members on the Enterprise. Remember from Charlie X? No, I've blocked out that episode. All of it. Down the memory hole. Janice, Janice was trying to hook up Charlie, who's 17, with um, a crewmate oh, who right. was also 17 you know, a little bit more appropriate relationship. So there are like 17 year olds who serve on the enterprise. So, you know, being, being in Starfleet at 15 might not be so crazy. All right. Fair, fair. Can I set up the opening? Like how, why, why they're even doing anything in the first place? Yeah, go for it, Corey. So they get a distress call from a planet. I forgot the name of the planet. It's, it's Q. It's, it's Q. Q. Is it you? Yeah. It's Planet Q. Yeah, that's you. You're Clint the Q. It's yeah, exactly. Planet U. So it's Planet Planet Me. <laughs> oh, what a terrible place. Anyway, they get a distress call from a planet. Doesn't matter. I'm sure it has a number after it. And they, uh, when they get there, the leader of the planet, Doctor Tom Layton. Um, Is he the leader? I thought he was just some schmuck. Yeah, he might be some schmuck. I thought he was some schmuck with half a face. I got that it was like a Starfleet outpost and he was the Starfleet outpost dude. Okay, whatever he is. <laughs> he has invited Kirk and, and the Enterprise to, uh, to to come on by. And the first thing that they do is they watch a play of Hamlet and we only get to see Dr. Layton's face in profile and we'll, we find out later that he was the, uh, the victim of a terrorist attack 20 years ago. Well, it wasn't a terrorist attack, but... Something happened to him 20 years ago. But the entire time they're watching the Hamlet play in the cold open, he's just staring at one of the performers on the stage. And he's like, Kirk, watch Hamlet. Look at Hamlet. And he thinks <laughs> that, that... That was funny. Watch Macbeth. Well, watch, watch Macbeth, yeah. Wait, is this whole play Macbeth or Hamlet? It's Macbeth. Fuck. Yeah, I think it's Macbeth. But they have a lot of Hamlet references as well. Okay. Yeah, I thought there was... Like, it's weird. I, thought, I mean, at first it's Macbeth, yeah, and I don't think it's Hamlet. I don't know. They do another play later on, and okay. I think it's still Macbeth. Yeah, we can talk about that later. Anyway, he, he he's convinced that the that the older actor up there playing Mick Hamlet is, uh, <laughs> is the ruler of their planet 20 years ago who committed a genocide and killed half the population because... The, the planet was starving and he was like, oh, I need to kill one half to save the other half. 
And it was 4,000 people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so he's, and then after that, he went on the run because he was like a war criminal. So Kirk's all pissed off. No, he's it, like, I thought he, he died. Well, I mean, officially, the official record is he's dead. They the found record a is burned dead. body, burned beyond all recognition. Mm-hmm. So Kirk's all pissed off. He's like, why would you call my ship here? Because you told me that you needed help. Like there was a food uh, sequencer that you developed that would like be a great invention. Why, why did you lie about that? What am I going to write in my report? You want me to look into a 20-year-old murder that's been resolved already or 20-year-old catastrophe where the perpetrator died? Uh, so Kirk doesn't believe him, and then uh, and then that's kind of the the, the 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 conflict. Kirk goes back up to his ship, but then later he does start to think that he is Kodos the butcher. Yeah, he uh, immediately when he goes back up to his ship gets on Google and he's like, "Is this true? Is there any evidence to this?" <laughs> so like th- this makes me think. Okay, so Dr. Tom Layton's like, that guy up there, that's the guy that used to rule our planet. And Kirk's like, you're full of shit. And then he leaves. And he's like, I'm not going to help you. And then he, he just he just leaves the planet. And then he goes back up and immediately like starts looking for evidence and immediately finds that uh, not only is the actor up there, his career is 20 years old, and he looks exactly like the old ruler of the planet. But like, I, I was thinking, if, if and I don't want to get into like Kirk versus Picard here, because that's just such a... A nerdy argument but i was thinking like if picard was in this situation picard the cool thing about him is he would like give any kind of crazy outlandish claim like it, it merit and he would consider it but like kirk immediately just does just denies it and leaves and then he finds out later like oh there might be some evidence behind this but he does start following up on on the information it's not like he it's it's just out of his brain completely he starts investigating, right? He's, yeah. He like starts looking into this, and then he goes to the party with the guy's daughter, who's named Lenore. We'll talk about her later. But he's definitely going to that party to feel her out. Yeah. Well, I I also like this because again, not to compare Picard as much as possible, but like we get so many scenes where Kirk is like this swashbuckling man of action and i felt like this was one where we see him being really thoughtful and like we develop that reputation of why he would beat spock in space chess like we're getting a plot line that backs up that preposterous scene i almost like the fidelity to the fact that yeah he's not really like it's not like he's in his own car driving around he would have to make an explanation to his superiors. And if this guy was also in Starfleet, what am I going to say? If I tell them the truth, you're going to get in trouble. I I actually thought I liked that line. I thought it was realistic. I, I just thought that the the premise of the episode with Kirk, like struggling to, to implicate this aging actor, because he's not sure whether or not he's this butcher from 20 years ago. Like it was so flimsy. Like I, I just, I, it, it took me out of the episode. Oh, I loved it was, it. it was, it was ridiculous. Just, really? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Wait, what do you mean was flimsy about uh, well, it? Well, so f- piece of evidence one: this actor's career started twenty years ago, right after this murderer disappeared. His friend, Doctor Layton, was like, "That's the guy. I recognize him." Uh, and I'll, and keep in mind, there's only nine witnesses that remember what the uh, old king looked like. And then there's a part like towards the end where he's having the actor read the dictator King's speech off of a piece of paper. And the guy's not even looking at the paper. He's speaking it from memory. And all of these things, he, like Kirk is still super unsure whether or not they're the same person. 
I mean, it's it's just crazy. Like, why wouldn't he believe his friend and like think that this was the guy? Like, I don't understand why he had any doubts about it. I loved it. I love the whole premise of it because it be it's a moral quandary for him. Like, how much is enough mm. proof to accuse someone of of something terrible? And also, like, is it Kirk's place if this guy, I mean, they don't bring it up directly. If this guy was a butcher, but then spent the next 20 years of his life doing nothing wrong, you know, should they take him in or not? I, I love, I love this episode. I love the struggle that Kirk had. I love the way that they tried to quantify how this guy could be him versus like the human instinct that it's this guy. I just loved it from start to finish. What I want to say is I think Kirk's behavior made sense. And it made sense for him not to be, believe his friend because his friend was very, I mean, he was the victim, right, of Kodos's violence. Half his face is gone, which I don't understand why half his face is gone. But anyway, so you can see why this guy is hypersensitive and maybe kind of looking for ghosts. And that's why when this ghost appears, Kirk is skeptical, right? But but we see this before, right? In in like Daggers of the Mind, where there's an accusation about, was it Dr. Adams? Yeah. And Kirk doesn't believe it, but he still follows up on the information and he still investigates it. Well, Kirk's friend, Tom, is also like, it's this guy, we need to murder him. And Kirk's kind of like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's pump the brakes on this a little bit. But the other thing that just I, I don't understand is why he doesn't communicate with his crew at all. Like he does not tell them anything that's on his mind. Kirk is going to pick up this troop and take them to their next assignment. And he like orchestrates this thing where he he calls the captain of the ship that was supposed to pick them up and take them to their next uh, play. And he's like, hey, let me take them. He doesn't tell anyone why he's doing this, even though this is like against Starfleet. He could have just pulled Spock and McCoy aside and say like, hey, guys, I have some suspicions about something that's going on. It's not a big deal. Uh, just just kind of go with me on this. But he keeps them in the dark so much. And like he's like, don't question my orders, you know, that like they just immediately you know, raise their suspicion. And I don't understand why he, he went through all that. I understand why they did it from a writing perspective. Like, I agree that within the show, it's really stupid. But from a writer's perspective, what happens is that Spock figures out what Kirk is doing and Spock immediately thinks that this actor is the guy. And so without uh, Shatner, Kirk, I'm doing it again, without Kirk presenting it in any way, Kirk comes, or, oh my gosh, Spock comes to the same conclusion. So I think that's why they did it from a writer's perspective. But I agree that within the show, the fact that Kirk is not communicating with his crew is, is a little bonkers. Yeah, I am with Emily on this one. Oh, so rarely am I with Emily. <laughs> it's... <laughs> I don't know. Like, my, my last note that I have for the entire thing is fuck Kirk because I just... It's this stupid John Wayne, ultra machismo, laconic, I don't need to talk to anybody. I can solve all these problems on my own. I am the justice court, right? Like, he doesn't post any security. He doesn't do any kind of precautions. He doesn't communicate with anybody. Like, it was just... It drove me crazy. But anyway, I don't want to be all lying uh, with this. That's where I stand on this episode. I, I love Kirk. I think the question is... The question that comes up is Kirk doing this by the book because he wants to bring justice? Is he now a rogue operative looking to get revenge? 
So I think it, at the beginning, he doesn't really know what he wants, and he might just want to kill off this guy because he killed off his friend. So I think that's, too, where that kind of tension and secrecy comes from, is Kirk doesn't really know what he wants to do if this guy is is Kodos. Yeah. I loved Kirk in this episode. I thought he was sassy. He was the leading man, kind of, with Lenore. Uh, he had a little bit of skullduggery and the Indiana Jones, I'm going to figure this out. I loved it. And then we had a couple scenes where he gets really thoughtful and very Picardian with thinking about what are the consequences and what are the responsibilities. And I, I thought Kirk was great in this. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed this episode as well. So one of the things, there are a couple things that I really like about this, but one of them is that in the 60s, uh, everybody would have had memories, well, not everybody, not children, but most people would have had memories of World War II. And I felt like, <clears throat> again, this idea of like, is he or isn't he this horrible butcher would resonate with that audience a lot, lot, lot more than it does now. Um, if you think about mm -hmm. it, you know, they didn't have video, they didn't have cell phones. People might be photographed, you know, still in the 40s and 50s, just handful of times in their life so this question of is this guy this guy that i think he was 20 years ago is a much bigger question and i also think it's really interesting because like after world war ii obviously a lot of the world was destroyed and people really did disappear like the number of people civilians or soldiers who just never came home and were never declared dead and nobody knows what happened to them maybe they started over somewhere, really did happen. There were a lot of displaced people. And um, a lot of those people were also Nazis. And the U.S. Who showed up in Brazil. Who showed up in Brazil. Or yeah. uh, I put a, in the notes Operation Paperclip. And um, Operation Paperclip was carried out by the U.S. after World War II. And the whole point of it was for the U.S. to find nazi scientists and essentially offer them amnesty if they came and worked for the united states so that they wouldn't either be killed or brought up on charges uh or end up in russia so there are huge 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 amounts of scientists who did terrible things during the war and never were brought up on charges it's it's interesting and and i think that this starts talking to that political reality there's also a really interesting documentary on Netflix called The Devil Next Door, and it was released in 2019, but it's about this guy who's just this dude living in Cleveland, and somehow, um, you know, people start accusing him of being this high-level uh, Nazi guard who, like, personally executed tons of people. The uh, nickname of this Nazi guard was Ivan the Terrible. And he's actually put on trial in Israel. And the documentary is all about this trial. And the whole time, this guy is like, I am not this guy. I don't know what's going on. And the arguments both ways are very, very compelling. And it's it's essentially the same thing. Like, is this guy Ivan the Terrible or is he not? And it's just absolutely terrifying and compelling. And this is... So I, I thought that that was something that gave it a lot of depth. I really liked this in that episode. I thought that it was kind of an interesting context and, and a bit of heaviness and like seriousness in what has so far been kind of a slapstick madcap season. 
Yeah, I had I had the same kind of note where this was I mean, this was only 20 years after World War II, and hey, 20 years ago, right? That's like kind of the big thing of this episode, mm-hmm. and and you're facing down someone that was an old britcher, like someone who did bad things, and it was kind of interesting how they treated that at the end because. I mean, a little bit of a spoiler, but we'll get there. But like, he's very remorseful of what he did and he feels really bad about it. And he, I, I think you would say he has reformed and he just wants to move on and just enjoy his career. The episode leads you to think that he is still trying to take out these nine witnesses that knows what he looks like. Um, but as we'll find out later, like it's that's not the case. Uh, he, he has reformed. So towards the end, you absolutely start to feel, I guess you, you can start to see his point of view because he's like, I did this because I had no other choice. I had to save the colony. Uh, they were all put to death painlessly and saved a lot of other people. I didn't know that the Federation was going to send support so quickly. So, so you do have some sort of yeah, empathy towards him. Oh, that's so, mm-hmm. it's so funny because in that scene that you referred to where he seemed remorseful, I was like, oh my God, this guy is just justifying what he does. He does not care. Like he still thinks he's in the right. Like I got a totally different vibe from it. Mm. Well, let's uh, let's put a pin in that for now. And I just want to say too about about this type of story. I kind of what I enjoyed about this episode and this premise was it's a premise that doesn't have to be a sci-fi episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that every previous episode of Star Trek: The Original Series it only works if it's in a science fiction show. Because it has to do with aliens and and technology. I think this is the first episode where you could take the sci-fi out of this episode and, like, yeah, have it be, I don't know, just set in 60s America or something like that. And it would still work pretty much the same. That's a good point. I also, just to give one more little history nerd out, like, one of the reasons why Hitler justified the Anschluss and other takeovers of other country was saying, you know, Germany is starving and nobody is helping us. And we need to take these ancestral lands and turn them into farmland for the German people. And that's actually like what a lot of what he was doing, you know, he took over like Poland and Hungary and kicked the Poles and the Hungarians out so that Germans could go and farm there. And also, you know, this is also when we're starting to get Stalin doing similar things of, well, we're going to do whole new ways of farming food And in both cases, those actions led to certain people starving to death because, you know, Hitler thought the Germans were better than Poles and Hungarians or whatever. So these political arguments that this guy is making of my actions were justified would also have felt much more familiar to an audience in the 60s of being, yeah, that that is a legitimate political argument that people have been making heretofore and now we're not going to do it anymore. All right, so let's talk about Lenore. And so Lenore is Kodos's daughter. She's 19, right? I did not realize that until you mentioned it in, at the top of the show, and that is very upsetting. I might be making it up, but I, I thought she was 19. Corey, did you catch her age? If that's what it said on IMDb, so that's the ultimate authority. Yeah, I feel like there was a throwaway, like when Kirk was Facebook stalking um, <laughs> Kodos. I forget what his, um, or Insta stalking, whatever you want to call it. But one of the information is like, oh, he has a 19-year-old daughter. Uh, well, Kirk's being a little skeezy then. <laughs> I want to talk about that for a second. But yeah, this is how Kirk 
is getting the information he needs to because I think they say Kodos or I forget his his moniker his it's yeah Kodorian or whatever anyway Kodos he's very secretive and he doesn't talk to people so I think that's why we talk to his daughter Lenore the most you know Kirk and her meet at a party Kirk just turns on the charm and then later when they go for a walk they find Thomas's dead body but like Kirk acts like a sociopath this episode because he plays Lenore like a fiddle it's it's creepy to watch him like work her because he one like what Corey said Kirk calls the ship who's supposed to pick up the act troop and deliver them to another planet so he can have them on their ship and he can continue investigating you know, this identity. Well, I'm getting such like a queasy feeling about this guy is like, this is the second time that he's done this with the Miri episode, which we will never be named again. Uh, But (laughs) it is, it is legitimately like a 45 second conversation he has with her where he just says, Hey, do you want to go on a walk with me? And then they go on the walk and then they somehow find the the dead body of the doctor that was concerned about being killed. But yeah, it it, it was like a real, real quick charm session to get her uh, alone. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, when she goes up to the Enterprise to ask for the the ride for the favor, I mean, he just lays on so much charm. There's another episode where they're kind of walking the ship and there's mood lighting and they're you know, talking about the stars and some deeply uh, squicky lines that are just, yeah. Yeah. And I never get the sense that he's never not acting. And there's, there's later where she finds out that he's been lying to her and she confronts him and he says, Oh, it started off like this. But then later, you know, I really fell in love with you and I wanted more. Said every guy who's a scumbag. (laughs) But yeah, I don't know. Kirk is just so creepy in this episode. And I think it in the 60s, it's not as creepy. But today it's just like, man, this guy's a psycho. This felt like a very sitcom plot of like, just pretend to be something so that I can date her friend or, you know, oh, she thinks I'm a doctor. So I'm going along with it. Like this is still, <laughs> I think this level of creeping and like pretending to be interested in a woman and using her for your own ends is still like a really common and familiar trope in tv Uh, i wanted to talk about if you guys didn't know it this week it's fashion week uh we're gonna be talking about all things fashion (laughs) yes the the first thing that clued me into fashion week was on the scene where kirk invites kodos's daughter lenore to go on a walk uh she is wearing what can only be described as a a gown of mourning it's like a black veil that covers her entire body like a see-through niqab (laughs) over her clothes oh i was it was like a lace hijab is what i had it in my notes (laughs) but the the interesting thing about this episode is that the actress that plays lenore she has the record for the most costume changes in one episode she has six costume changes and i went ahead and put them on our discord so we can uh, look at them and enjoy them and we'll we'll put them up on our instagram too but it's, I mean, it's, they're, they're pretty cool, I, I guess. I loved it. They're super costumey. My favorite was like the fur coats parka thing. <laughs> I loved, my favorite was when she's on the walk on the Enterprise with Kirk and it's creepy mood lighting. She has this super psychedelic print dress. Uh, and I love that. I was like, I would wear that legitimately now. Also, none of her, all of her outfits are very exciting, but none of them are like the Andrea one that were essentially just like side boob overalls. 
Like these are legitimately interesting clothes. Yeah, no, they did a great job for the costume design. Yeah, and then they're also not like butt skirts like we see with um, <laughs> Doctor Noel. Noel. Butt skirt is so much nicer than what I was gonna say. So Emily, did you Clint. catch our favorite Yulman on this episode? No, where was she? It's you could blink and you would miss her. But there's the scene where Lenore goes up to the Enterprise. She's asking for a ride. They're on the bridge. Lenore leaves. The turbo lift opens up. And Janice is there. And she gives Lenore, like, this, like, what the fuck are you doing here, bitch look. And then walks off screen. You could literally blink and miss it. Ah, that's so funny. Because I wrote that the scenes on the bridge are super dynamic and they're shot really interesting angles. So I distinctly remember that scene, but I don't remember her being in there. Yay. Yay, Me too. Yeah. Because I heard she was on it and I saw that on the episode. And then I finished the episode. I'm like, where is she? And she's there for two seconds. There was also supposed to be a scene. They wrote this in the script, but I I don't think it was shot. Where she runs into Kirk and Lenore on their little walkabout. Mm. I am glad they didn't shoot that. Yeah. But I, I I have some Corey, do you wanna break it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I and I also just wanna set up like the reason that Lenore's on the bridge and they run into each other anyway is because like we said, Kirk canceled her troops flight, but didn't tell them and then made Lenore come up to the bridge and beg for a trip to their next to their next play which is exactly what kirk wanted but he was like oh boy i don't know that's against regulations it was horrible uh okay i love that that was so manipulative of him when he was like i don't know if i can do it like such a like a like nigger like what is it the art of dating or something like those um what are those guys called who like pickup artists pickup artists it was such a pickup artist move yeah Yeah, that's fair he knows the secret for sure Mm -hmm. okay so here's the deal so this was what we saw in this scene uh, of of Janice Rand of of actress Grace Lee Whitney, this was actually the first or the um, the the last time she ever shows up on Star Trek in terms of the production schedule. We're going to see her on next week's episode, but, but this is the last scene she ever had for Star Trek, which was uh, not a very fair send off. Um, Doesn't she show up in? One when she's old. Am I making this? She does up? show up in an episode of Voyager. Yes, thank you. And I think she's in Star Trek: The Motion Picture too. But this is her last time being on the the show proper. Yeah. She is in a few movies. I was hoping that does she play Emily Yeoman would Rand just think that she, in the movie what? does she play Yeoman Rand in the movies? Well, she's not a Yeoman. Well, yeah, but the same character. Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. So the the quote I have is she reflected on that quick scene knowing that that was the last time she was going to be on Star Trek. And she said, By that time, I had already been written out of the show. I did the scene sober, but after my shooting, uh, after shooting my walk-on, I went out to the liquor store, bought a bottle of wine, and brought it back to my dressing room. That day, I drank. I couldn't deal with the fact that I wasn't going to be on the show anymore, so I drank to anesthetize the pain. That was the only time I ever brought a bottle onto the studio lot. Aww. The uh, so the reasons for her firing. Was, so the first reason was that she had gotten into an issue with uh, the a studio executive because uh, of a, a sexual assault. It was an unnamed studio executive, and she she said that this guy committed sexual assault. But you know, this is the '60s, so nobody's going to back her up. Um, and because she wanted to like kind of press this, she was not in good graces with the production team. 
So it's just really, really sad. And then the uh, the other reason, and I'm just going to read this too, and I, we, I think we've talked about this before, that they said, she said, they wanted William Shatner to have romances in each episode with a different person because for him to be stuck with one woman was not good for him and it wasn't good for the audience. That's what they told me, so I was written out. There were two blonde girls and one black girl. Black girl. Nichelle was a more important character and couldn't be written out. One of the blondes had to go. The other one was engaged to the boss. So guess what? So, yeah, she was kicked off the show. There's a, a story about this actress, Grace Lee Whitney, who we love. She said that Leonard Nimoy was really supportive of her during this time and, like, believed her and supported her and stuff. And I can't remember if it was, I think it was Nimoy. Someone was driving, like, was going to Star Trek conventions and was, like, driving and saw her in an unemployment line. And got in touch and was like, hey, people at conventions are asking for you. And so she started going to conventions after that and and was sort of cemented as a fan favorite partly because of that. Gene Roddenberry said that it was one of the biggest mistakes he ever made on the show, letting her go. Yeah. I would agree with that. 100%. With hindsight. Well, I mean, just, I don't even know with hindsight. Just seeing her, you know, be a presence on the show. I, I always liked her. Anyone who's listened to the show knows how much we love Janice. So it's just such a shame that she, uh, yeah, is so unceremoniously. She's not even killed off by a black snot monster. <laughs> like, like Lieutenant, no, Lieutenant Tasha Yar. Yar. Well, uh, yeah, that happens a lot. And Jadzia yeah, Tasha Yar. gets killed off. Yeah. Okay. There's a scene right after all this. And and we're we're like we're we're quite a ways in, but I mean a lot of the episode is just Kirk trying to get evidence for this. While uh, there's a suspicion that the other survivors or the the witnesses of Kodos's cruelty. And by the way, Kodos, Which there's only like seven living or something. Yeah, there's only seven living. Two of them are on the Enterprise. One of them is young. Uh, what's his name? Riley, Lieutenant Riley. I young believe. Lieutenant Riley, who is also the drunk guy who took over engineering and started singing oh. Irish songs from that other episode we watched. <laughs> yes. uh, so there's only there's only two people. An absolute legend. Yeah, this guy's had a really wild life. Yeah, he uh so Kirk like tells uh Spock to transfer him down to engineering to to protect him, I guess. Uh and Spock's like, well he's gonna see that as like a demotion and he's gonna think he's in trouble and Kirk's like, let him think what he wants, you know, doesn't tell him why he's sending him down there. So a lot of the episode is just like like who's the is is the actor really a bad guy or is is, is Kirk making a mistake? There's a there's a scene that's after Janice does her take and, and the actors are all aboard where Spock goes to McCoy and McCoy's drinking in his office, of course. And Spock has a conversation with McCoy and he's like, hey, uh, this is weird stuff that's going on, right? Why is Kirk acting so weird? And McCoy's like, don't worry about it. You should trust him. Have a drink with me. And Spock's like, oh, no, thank you. And what he I really love. calls love, it a drop of dew. A drop of dew. <laughs> I wish that could come back. We have got to make it come back from now on. What I loved about that scene is that he has like a three quarters full martini glass. He takes a little sip while he's talking to Spock. And then he reaches for the jug and fills up that tiny little sip again. And then in my mind, I was thinking McCoy would say, like, only counts as one glass if I don't finish it, right? Kind of elbows Spock. I love, too, that, you know, Spock is like, what's going on? The captain's acting so weird. And Bones is always just like, oh, it's no big deal. You're making too big a deal out of it, Spock. And then he makes some, like, metaphor. You know, like he says, like, oh, the noose of leadership is tight around Kirk. And then Spock is, spare me your philosophical metaphors, doctor. 
And I think that's just Vulcan speech for like, shut your corn fried mouth, you yokel. I'm trying to think. But I, I really like the interplay between Spock and Bones. Early Bones has been really annoying. I don't know if he gets better, but I like him a lot more in this episode. I think he's a lot more measured and not as like... He's not as aggressive. Has his head up his ass. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's not as like aggressively ignorant as he usually is. And yeah, I just really like the dynamic that Spock and Bones has where they're kind of like at odds with each other, but they work together to solve a problem in really interesting ways. I agree with you. The scenes with Spock and Bones and Kirk were incredible. But I, I also think like this reminds me, one of my favorite shows of all time is Parks and Rec. And in the first season... The Leslie Note character, who's played by Amy Poehler, is basically like Michael from The Office. Like, she's really dumb mm. and oblivious and a pain in the ass. But Amy Poehler got more free reign and the show became a more creative, generative space. And over the first season and into the second, she kind of evolves into like this warm, quirky, hardworking, good-natured person that carries the show. And I think we're seeing this with Bones, where... He was kind of this cardboard character. It didn't make sense. And I don't know if it's the actor or the writing. Like, they figured out who this guy was. And we're definitely starting to see that more. I, I really liked Bones. Yeah, for how much people, like, adore Bones and how he's, you know, the top three uh, of, of the crew. What we've seen so far of him, it's like, um, this guy's kind of, like, wh- yeah. whiny. Yeah, and just, like, he's just opposed to everything just to be opposed to it. But we can start to see that now he's starting to develop a, a personality. The thing I think that makes Spock so great is he is Spock from episode one, not from the pilot, because in pilot he just has shaggy hair and long eyebrows and smiles a lot. <laughs> but, like, from from episode one, like, it's it's Spock. It's, like, a an eternal monument of a character that's unchanging. Yeah, he's, he's just Spock keeps getting better and better every episode and the more he's on the show the better he gets give me some more Nimoy I'd be interested in knowing more about the creative process because I could see how if you have something set like Spock's character that can kind of help you develop the other things that are going to play off of it and and hey since we're talking about Spock it's time for a new segment oh no Welcome to Chat Chat, where we go into William Shatner's Twitter and just see what he's talking about right now. Uh, Clint, do you want to do you want to sing the Chat Chat uh, intro song that we'd been talking about earlier? Yeah, it goes do 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 da Shatner Chat Chat. Okay, so in Chat Chat this week, William Shatner's talking about uh, a monument to Spock that they want to put up in Boston. They're going to put it up in what's called the West End, which is apparently like a condominium commercial sort of old big building. And they want to put it up in front of it. But it's a 20 something foot metal Spock hand symbol that's going to be put in front of the plaza there. And it, and it looks pretty cool. It's it's only in its early days. I did put it up in the Discord for us all to look at and enjoy. Oh, uh-huh. I mean, that's, that's not cool. it's an artist's in, you know, impression of what it's going to look like. But Oh man, it looks like the one I have in my apartment. It does. Absolutely. Yeah. Wait, I am looking at Chat Chat right now, and he has so many times where he just replies to random fan things. Oh, the man is like, a prolific what, tweeter. He tweets a lot. It is, <laughs> is incredible. Someone says, William, I love your wit. And he says, family, or funny, my family doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Another one, another person has 
one that goes somewhat off topic, but but I'm wondering if you remember a Canadian snack cake called Mae West. They've always been a favorite of mine. And he just replies, they probably got a cease and desist thread about that name. No, I do not remember them. <laughs> <laughs> he is always on. And all those texts are like an hour apart. He's just going, going, going. Here, Oh, this one is adorable. Uh, Mr. Shatner, I wrote to you last week about my golden retriever, Gracie. She passed away in October. I asked your opinion on getting a new dog, and you suggested a rescue. Well, meet Lucy. Just got home with her. Drove two hours to a shelter in Ohio. Love her. And then there's a little picture of a puppy. And William Shatner says adorbs. First of all, he says adorbs, which is adorbs. Make sure she gets trained and give her lots of love. (laughs) Aw, cute. Well, hey, say what you want about William Shatner, the man does have charisma, let me tell you. <laughs> you can tell. He's just dripping with it, with his shirt off. So, I'd like to get back to some of the stuff that happens in the episode, because I guess we're like, from what we've talked about, we're like three quarters of the way through. So, Riley has been demoted down to engineering, and he's just like sad and lonely down there, and he, he even calms the, the mess hall to have people talk to him, because he's bored down there, and uh, Uhura plays him a song and it's 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 kind of a sweet little scene but like in the shadow something is creeping behind him and slips something into his glass of milk because like, <laughs> Riley right do you guys remember what Riley's snack was that he had next to him he just had it on an open plate it was like a it was like a plate of shapes it was like cubed melons I guess it was cubes of different pastel colors yeah and then a glass of milk and then a Tall glass of milk. I've seen like what uh, Kirk eat that like same meal like, on the first or second episode. I just thought that having a glass in engineering, an open glass in engineering in a ship that often is rocking around is kind of crazy. Because th- there's another scene where uh, Kirk is also having an assassination attempt on him. Um, someone is overloading a phaser in his room while he's talking to Spock and it's actually kind of it's probably like my favorite scene of the episode it's pretty exciting as they're just like rummaging through the room knocking over books like upending the bed trying to find because there's like this whirring sound and they know that it's going to destroy a bunch of decks it's a very suspenseful scene yeah Yeah. it was a great scene and then Kirk finally finds the phaser and at the last second he chucks it down the garbage duct (laughs) I guess which shields the explosion (laughs) No, I think it ejected it into space. So I guess they just eject their trash right in the, you know, open space, which seems irresponsible. The American way. The explosion slams them to the other side of the hallway. And my first thought immediately went to Riley's glass of milk uh, that he had in engineering. (laughs) Because they did that last episode we watched where they had coffee that was open on the bridge. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, hey, I guess, you know, he learned a lesson, right? You shouldn't have... Just open milk in engineering. Because someone might poison it. Poison. That's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is our new segment called OSHA violations at Starfleet. <laughs> oh my gosh! I just want to comment. I did like Ohura's singing much more this episode than I think in Charlie X. I liked her little like star ballad. I think it was fun. Um... It was fun, and it wasn't so long that it felt like it distracted. I thought this... Yeah, and it wasn't, like, weird and creepy. Yeah, I thought this episode was great at, like, world-building a little bit. Like, at the beginning Mm. where they start talking about Shatner, he's like, you were one of the very few people who remember what happened on this planet. Like, it hints at these other adventures, and 
that scene with O'Hara singing also did that, where we're starting to get some development of what we've already seen without it being this long, drawn-out thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The only thing I would say is that it's okay to sing a love song that doesn't have the word nebula or star or quasar or pulsar mm-hmm. in it, because that's like, it's a space time, so we got to have space love songs. Like, if I was going to write a song, I wouldn't sing about, like, iPhones and uh, PS4s, you know, because that's, like, the most current. And Lunar Flowers. I I remember that lyric. (laughs) Yeah, I like that one. It's a star shanty, and I don't think it's that, like, crazy that they would have star shanties, because right now there's that TikTok trend where people are singing sea shanties, and it's getting super popular, so... I could see that this could be a thing that people like in the future. I actually loved it. I think it's weirder when they play Shakespeare or something that's ancient to us now. That would be like if we were all sitting around reading things that were written before Christ, which we're not. There's a, I forget which Star Trek movie it is. um, And I'm sure we're going to watch the TOS movies at some point. It's one of the Mm. not so great ones where uh, Christopher Lloyd is the antagonist uh, and he's a Klingon. Yes. During the climax, like his Christopher Lloyd ship is just like shooting Kirk's ship. Christopher Lloyd goes on the speaker and he he's a huge fan of like the arts. And he's like, Kirk, you haven't lived until you listen to the Klingon translation of Shakespeare. And then he gives some lines from it. <laughs> it's, I don't know why. It's just kind of a crazy thing for him to say. Like, don't you have your own dead artists to to promote i love the plot line of klingon opera that's in ds9 it's incredible they have so many references to it and then klingon opera is so bad i think they they make it intentionally very discordant and crazy (laughs) you mean it's wonderful (laughs) so i want to talk about i don't think we've really dived into kodos as much I thought he was a really interesting villain. He's definitely a specter of of a lot of the show. We don't really like see much of him mm-hmm. and or kind of meet him until like 40 minutes in. But I thought he was uh, an interesting villain more so than other villains we've saw where he's just trying to escape his past. He is very interesting because I don't know if he's sympathetic, but he at least has a case to be made for why he isn't a villain. And I don't know, you know, who knows what happened on that planet, but he he presents it like he had a tough choice, right? He had 8,000 people and either 4,000 of them, I don't know, you know, they could have all starved to death. So he chose 4,000 of them to die um, to try and save the other 4,000. Where it gets a little tricky was there, he was talking about uh, eugenics and this is kind of where like, He's kind of Hitler, so he's maybe not as sympathetic. But, right, Spock was talking about how he had some ideas on on eugenics and mm-hmm. who deserved to die and who, who, who deserved to live. And so, you know, he just killed that, you know, those people. And, and, and I would like to say real quick, I, I, I talked about you have empathy for him. I didn't, I, I meant more they gave him the opportunity to plead his case and, like, there is, like, a, like... Like he's remorseful and he had a hard choice. Like they, they just give the audience that option to consider at the end. Yeah. And and I don't think he's necessarily like empathetic as much as you, as he at least has a case that he can plead. Right. Yeah. I think Dr. Adams didn't have any sort of, you know, case where you could be like, this makes sense. I think what it is, is that we, it's not didactic. Like the show is not saying to the audience this guy is bad this is what it is we're teaching you these things 
they're creating a character and giving the audience enough benefit that the audience is going to be smart enough to understand the moral quandary and the complexity of this person. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, he's not black and white. He's a very good, you know, great character. And I think that too is kind of comes owed to, you know, the Shakespearean tradition of, of villains who are a little bit more sympathetic or you can at least see where they're coming from. I would agree with that. And I also think there's this quote that's attributed to Alfred Hitchcock that there's no terror in the bang, only the anticipation of it. And they do this mm. really well. Like we see him on stage and we really don't see him again until like 75% of the way through. The whole tension of this episode is Kirk's confrontation of him. And by delaying it, they kept him this mysterious villain. They kept the tension up. I think that's another thing that we've really reacted to is the sagging in the second act after all the cards have been played. They didn't do that this time. And I, I don't know, like reflecting on the episode now, do you think that he almost wanted to get caught? Like I almost got that sense where he was tired of running and tired of hiding from this. So there is a part where, you know, Kirk has him read a speech so they can match his voice to it. And he barely looked at the page and Kirk got all upset about that. But maybe, you know, Kodos was just kind of tired of hiding and tired of all the lies. And so he was almost kind of relieved that he got caught. So he doesn't have to, you know, put up this act anymore. I mean, he did go back to the planet that he used to be the dictator of uh, to do a play. Right. <laughs> so like, did he do that? I don't know if they talked about him. No, I mean, I mean, like, why else would he go planet. back to that specific planet when he's the most wanted man there? Did he go back to that planet though? I don't. No, I never heard them no, I don't about think that. so. Yeah, no, the planet at the start of the uh, episode where he's that—that that wasn't the same planet. No, I don't think it was. The planet that they start on is Planet Q, and it's like Talus Six or Talios oh, Four okay. or something okay. like that. Yeah, that the massacre happens on. So I, I don't think they hit it as hard as they could have. But I think there's definitely mm-hmm. some room to imagine that and read that in on his character. I think that they gave mm-hmm. that character exactly what he needed. You said he makes a case and it's logical and it's reasons, even if we might reject those reasons. They gave him that and then they didn't give him all this other stuff that would have ruined it. So he's still complex enough that we can imagine that. Yeah, that's correct. This is also where, boy, I don't remember if I said this already. This is also where uh, Matt Groening got the name for Kodos. He got King and Kodos from two different characters in TOS. Oh, that's cool. That's a fun little tidbit. I didn't know that. Kodos in Futurama? It's for the Simpsons, the two alien tentacle tentacle guys. Mm. Oh, I didn't realize that was their name. Adorable. I'm, I'm most excited to talk about the last scene because it is fucking nuts. It's uh, I love it. It's I insane. love it too. So yeah. the the uh the troupe where kodos and his daughter uh perform they, they decide that they're going to perform for the enterprise to kind of pay for their passage to to their next act what i just i just want to interject and it's crazy i don't know to me i was surprised that they were still holding the play even after kirk just accused kodos of being you know a mad dictator he does it at do the like play. intermission too 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, wow, they are dedicated actors. They were really going for the Hamlet metaphor in this episode, right? Like mm-hmm. the leader's troubled conscience and like crimes being exposed and daughter going insane and accidentally killing father. Like they were trying to hit all those beats in this episode. Um, well, there's also Hamlet. Again, you're right that they make a lot of references to Hamlet. Hamlet has a play within a play, and this show is also a play within a play. And that's like the plot point of Hamlet is, is he going crazy or is his reality what's really happening? And he's going to stage this play and it's going to catch everybody out. And that's also what's going on with Kirk. Like Kirk is essentially Hamlet. But the play that they're performing is Macbeth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, right. And like the conscience of the, I mean, the, the title of this episode comes from Hamlet, right? Yeah, they, she quotes when he's dying. She quotes a bunch of Hamlet. She does some weird shit while he's dying. It's it's crazy. <laughs> it's like legitimately crazy. I'm like, they're too close. Do not like. So like Kirk overhears uh, Lenore and Kodos where Lenore finally admits that it's been her that has been taking out all of Kodos's uh, eyewitnesses. Uh, and she's been killing them over the years. And we don't know like how she found out about this, because I think Kodos wanted to not have her daughter know about his past. But she's been systematically taking them all out. She's the one that killed the doctor at the start of the episode. She's the one that poisoned Riley with his milk. Loved it. Riley lives, by the way, if anyone's worried about him. Also, she poisoned his milk with a spray bottle, which I thought was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Uh, and so she's like, you know, she's just monologuing, saying that she's done all this. And Kirk is just like standing six feet away and listening. And then he walks up. And then uh, he's going to go and arrest her. And then chaos ensues. I love that little twist that she was the one killing off the eyewitnesses, not her dad. Thought it was great. I like the twist, too. I thought the twist was going to be that, like, somehow his brain is in her body. (laughs) I'm so glad it wasn't that. (laughs) I know. I went so hard sci-fi, right? That's a, like, crazy hard sci-fi twist. Uh I'm glad it it was simpler than that. That's, like, she's just going around and and offing people. And he, I love his reaction. He's like, why did you do this? Like, you're the only good thing in my life. The only thing that wasn't ruined. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, my past ruins this as well. So that was a great moment. I, yeah, the twist that she was killing people off was fantastic. It was great. She uh, grabs a phaser and she tries to shoot Kirk to kill the last eyewitness on a starship that she's never going to escape. I don't I don't know what her thought was yeah. like. But she misses and she, or no, her, her dad steps in the way uh, and she kills her dad. And she goes into what can only be described as the weirdest soliloquy ever because she's like rabid, half raving mad while she's quoting Shakespeare and just crying over her, her dead father's form while everyone who was in the audience is now watching what's going on backstage. And I, I just thought like there was one person in the audience that was like, I've never seen Hamlet before. Is this part of the is this part of the play? I I like the idea of someone in the audience watching it and being like, "This is fantastic!" And like leaving the theater, and being like, "Great job, guys!" And they're like, "No, this was not part of the play." It would be funny if like she's over her father and she's weeping, and then someone just stands up and starts clapping, right? And, and they're like, "That wasn't part of the play," and he's like, "Oh." So they drag her off and we find out at the end of the episode, it's really weird. They were like, 
yeah, she doesn't remember a thing. You know, she's going to be able to live peaceably for the rest of her life or whatever. In an insane asylum. Yeah. And I was like, did, does she not remember because she just had a crazy episode or did they wipe her memory to save? I don't know. It was weird. They're just like, she's never going to remember anything about what she did. No, I mean, it's like the typical like 60s, like she's a hysterical woman, you know, like she's gone crazy. And once a dame goes crazy, they they're always going to be crazy. Well, it's also the Hollywood thing where the the hero can't murder the villain directly and someone who did something for love can't be fully punished as a criminal. It's like why everyone in Disney movies dies by falling because we can't have the beast kill Gaston because then the beast is just as bad as Gaston. Mm. So he falls and like, you know, she's doing something to protect her father and there's so many plot points that say it's okay to do anything for family members. So... They have to shunt her off to the side somehow. I uh, I I did not expect the this to be a two to one thing because I thought we were all going to not like this episode together. But I did want to. The last thing I want to say the that this episode was ranked one of the lowest in the first season because it was too talky, no action scenes, and didn't feature a monster or sci-fi gimmick. So they didn't actually push it into syndication. Oh, I That's loved funny. it. I thought, like, there's a scene where Bones and Kirk and Spock are sort of talking and debating, like, is it this guy? And they had so many great little lines. There's one part where... Bones says, you know, if this is this guy, you go after him. What's the, what's the point? And he goes, that won't bring back the dead, Jim. And Kirk says, no, but they may rest easier. And I was just like, what a beautiful line. I thought with very few changes, this could have been an episode of TNG. Okay, so yeah. the way I would change this episode... And the thing that upset me the most is when they put the episode, when they put the pictures of Kodos and this actor, this older actor together, it's the same exact person. And I think the only change that they could have made was make it so the actor had like facial reconstruction surgery and was like a totally different person. But it was the same exact person. So for me, it was like, why? Why wouldn't they just put, at least put a security guard next to this guy? And, and speaking of like fl- flowery and fancy language, there's a there's a scene where Kirk and Lenore are like on the ship somewhere and they're they're cuddling, they're hugging. And <laughs> she says, you are the Caesar of the stars and I am the Cleopatra to worship him. And I was just like, whoa, pump the brakes. You guys have known each other for like 10 hours. Oh, <laughs> that scene was so full of cringy language. There's a part oh, yeah. where she goes she's talking about the ship and she goes all this power surging and throbbing yet under control are you like that captain and i was and then later kirk says something like she's like are women different in space and he's just like a woman is always a woman and i just wrote like barf emojis oh it's like that line in miri where kirk keeps saying you're becoming a woman and i'm like oh my god this is what i'm gonna hear in my nightmares i also hated the part where they were like star bright star light you know blah 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 star (laughs) she's like a saying almost as old as the stars themselves and i'm like do you know how stupid you sound right now just saying like this old stain is as old as the stars i don't know it's like that's so inaccurate like the stars are billions of years old i would love a futuristic series that was just super funny and aware like they're like and now i want to sing you an ancient melody 
from, you know, our ancestors back on Earth. And everyone's like, oh, this is going to be so great. Classical music. And then they start playing Britney Spears. Or something. <laughs> Isn't she lucky? God, I love that song. <laughs> I was thinking, uh, hit me, baby, one more time. <laughs> <laughs> They do, um, they do refer to the Beastie Boys as classical music. Futurama. No, the new J.J. Abrams. Uh, one of the new J.J. Abrams. Yeah, but there's also, actually, you are right, though, Corey. That oh, I got big butts. I, I like big butts, right? They're like, oh, they're yeah. listening to classical music. <laughs> <laughs> See, it would be. I love it. Well, I mean, that's Futurama, and Futurama's hilarious. So you, you are right about that. Well, you think we should wrap this up, Clint? Yeah. Should we All should right, we guys. give it a rating? Sure. One, I'll I'll give it a rating. One to five. I'll I'll yeah. I'll give it a four. I'll give really it like I'll it. give it a four too. Maybe even a four point twelve or something. I thought it was great. Le- <laughs> a four point twelve? Legitimately my favorite one of TOS so far. It's been good. Yeah. I feel like the show is finally gelling. Yeah, I uh I hope so. I'm going to, I mean, okay. So after the episode, I was like imagining all the writers in the writer room, just making out with each other about how this, Oh, we made a Hamlet inside of a Hamlet inside of a Hamlet. Oh my God. But if the audience doesn't get it, we're still going to explain it to them very carefully at the end. I didn't like Kirk at all. This, this episode or two episodes before where he was just like an asshole and hung over and bossing everybody around. I don't get his motivation. I don't get his character. I don't know. Maybe I'll come around on him. So I'm going to give the, I'm going to give everything like a three and then Kirk a one on this one. Okay. I think that's fair. That's we should, totally we should fair. give Kirk his own ratings. Yeah. <laughs> five out of five anytime he's shirtless. Oh, I'll sign up for that. <laughs> All right. Well, that is our episode this week. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. And until we see you next time, keep on trekking. No, more blood wine. <laughs> <laughs>